0: I'm Mark Beattie, Editor-in-Chief of Archives of Disease and Childhood. In this podcast, I'd like to highlight the content from the August edition of the journal. I'd like to start with an article on tachypnea in a well baby, what to do next. It's a leading article, it's excellent, and it outlines the management of the well-term infant who presents with tachypnea so the infant who's not acutely unwell. There are many useful points made, including the fact that the normal respiratory rate has a wide normal range. That's figure 2 in the paper. It decreases during infancy, is high when the infant is awake, and is higher during fever. There are a series of useful headers throughout the article. What is tachypnea? Is the baby tachycneic? Is the baby unwell? Is the examination normal? Immediate and further investigations and less common diagnoses. There's an excellent algorithm, that's figure one in the paper. It highlights red flag symptoms including persistent cough, apneic episodes, noisy breathing, poor feeding, vomiting and choking when drinking... And it highlights red flag signs, which include respiratory distress, cyanosis, a cardiac murmur, abnormal femoral pulses, hepatomegaly and hypotonia. The most important initial investigations are to measure the oxygen saturation, which should be between 97 and 98%, and to do a chest X-ray. If the saturation is low, then a hyperoxia test should be performed. Potential causes of tachypnea when the diagnosis is not immediately obvious are discussed in detail. Excellent article and an excellent read-through. The second article I'd like to highlight this month relates to conflict escalation in paediatric services. Conflict between healthcare staff, that's horizontal conflict, and healthcare staff and patients, that's vertical conflict, presents a significant burden to individuals and healthcare systems and is a major cause of burnout, absenteeism and high staff turnover. Fobel and colleagues explore clinician and family experiences in order to map out the trajectory of conflict escalation. 38 health professionals and 8 parents were interviewed. All had had direct experiences of conflict. Three phases were described, mild, moderate and severe. Mild describes features like insensitive use of language and a history of unresolved conflict. Moderate involves a deterioration of trust and a breakdown of communication and relationships. Severe marks disintegration of working relationships Characterised by behavioural changes, including a regression and a shift in focus from the child's best interests to the conflict itself. This is a very useful practical way of thinking about this problem. It's interesting that conflicts which escalate tend to move sequentially from one level to the next. This framework will help us start to consider how conflict can be recognised and interventions put in place to try and help impact at each level. The area is challenging and stressful. The potential of conflict to change the focus from the management of the child reflects the need for us to explore and try and develop strategies to better deal with it. The third article I'd like to highlight relates to recent advances in interventional cardiology. There have been major advances in the management of congenital heart disease, particularly with the increase in frequency and complexity of transcatheter interventional procedures. In this issue, Bentham and colleagues update us on recent and potential future developments. Things like to close or not to close the patent ductus arteriosus, management of coactation of the aorta, which is usually in the catheter lab from mid-childhood, the potential for ductal and right ventricular outflow stenting as an alternative to surgical systemic to pulmonary shunting, the increased use of percutaneously implanted bioprosthetic valves, the potential for transcatheter ventricular septal defect closure, the potential for hybrid management of difficult hyperplastic left heart syndrome. Each section highlights key messages The progress in this field has been massive and is highlighted by the timeline in figure one. This is a very worthwhile read and a great update for clinicians who will regularly see children with cardiac conditions in their daily practice. The fourth article I'd like to highlight relates to defining normal heart rate. So that's an interesting question. The heart rate and respiratory rate are key components in the assessment of a child who presents acutely unwell. In order to interpret these signs, clinicians need to know what is normal at particular ages, including the range of normal, and if abnormal, how abnormal. O'Leary and colleagues report data on real life patients presenting to their emergency department. A hundred and eleven thousand records from between 1995 and 2010. This is afebrile children, triage category five, attending the emergency department. The data set is compared with previous published data and advanced pediatric life support guidance. The comparable data sets and ranges are illustrated in the various figures in the paper. There's good agreement of the 50th centile for heart rate. However, respiratory rate was lower in infancy and higher with increasing age, crossing the lower APLS range in infants and the upper range in teenagers. There is a significant centile variance between different data sets. The authors suggest that their derived centiles should be incorporated into APLS, paediatric early warning systems and other guidance. There is a very powerful accompanying editorial from Roger Parslow. My name is Mark Beattie, Editor-in-Chief of Archives of Disease and Childhood. I hope you've enjoyed my summaries of some of the content of the August edition of the journal. Please refer to the journal website for further information. Thanks for listening.